To get down to business on the weekend's number one business program. Known as the king of networking, your host, Shalom Klein, has worked with thousands of entrepreneurs and created countless jobs. So, to success, let's get down to business. And indeed, we're all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship and business. We talk a lot about business here. I'm with Get Down to Business, and I'm your host, Shalom Klein. Remember, you can always download podcasts from Get Down to Business on my website at shalomklein.com. And while you are there, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Shalom Klein. It's going to be a jam-packed week of content and information you will not want to miss. So let's jump right in with, with the author of A Place for Tea, Giving Voice to the Tortoise in Our Hair-Brained World. And that's with Robert Lingle. Dr. Robert Lingle holds a bachelor's and master's in aerospace engineering, an MBA, and a PhD that blended oceanography, environmental management, Leadership and Organizational Dynamics in Business. Uh, Dr. Langle, welcome to the program. Well, thank you so much for having me, Shalana. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I know you are currently a, an Associate Professor Emeritus at the University of Texas at San Antonio and President of the Consulting Firm LeaderWorks. So let's talk about this book, A Place for Tea. Where did this idea come together and tell us a little bit about it? The, uh, well, it's for 30 years, uh, I founded and ran an executive center at the University of Texas at San Antonio. Uh, my specialty work took me into situations where people had to accomplish something together, but weren't getting along. Uh, mostly they would drop me into disaster situations and see if we could work our way out of it. I learned a lot about how to design meeting places and how to work with people who literally couldn't stand each other. Uh, the, all through that consulting, the issues of change, uh, leadership development, the loss of spirit and morale were common in almost every organization as competition increases and the speed of activity increases. Uh, and when the COVID shutdown came, I had I was locked away from a lot of my consulting because it's a lot of face-to-face -face work. And I started to write essays uh, that I published on a Facebook group site that I have. And after a whole year, I started to realize that what I was seeing in the nation, uh, what I was seeing in Washington, what I was seeing with political polarization, uh, were all about how we think about things and also the places where we get to talk about it. And so that was the start of the, the seeds of the work for A Place for Tea. Uh, I like this idea. I, I started to wrap it into this fable that the tortoise is, uh, speaks for our humanity. It, it moves slowly. It moves with emotion. It carries spirit. Uh, it stands for all the things that make us human, like loving and caring and uh, all those sorts of things. And the hair uh, stands for speed and cleverness. And I started to realize that uh, spending 30 years in a business college and running MBA programs, uh, we were teaching people how to become harebrained thinkers. And 
businesses tend to like harebrained thinkers uh, that uh, preparing for speed, preparing for cleverness, preparing for arguments and debate, preparing to work with information. But the tortoise offered perspective. So I thought it was interesting that I see the tortoise and the hare in a race uh, between our heads, our harebrained thinking, and our hearts, which move at a different pace of emotion and spirit. But all these things that we're seeing organizations be frustrated with, especially the all-around change, really relate to a perspective change, not to information and cleverness. So my work, I tried to capture everything that I've learned during those COVID essays and over 30 years of consulting in this book to talk about how we need to think differently, how we need to think more nuanced ways of how we meet and how we set up meetings. And uh, basically that's it. We have, wow. we're, running too, we're running too fast with our heads for our hearts to keep up. That's the basic thesis of all this. And as a result, we're suffering from, I think, a spiritual anemia in organizations and in the nation. It's, we can't cope with the speed. Um, I'm, again, I'm chatting with Dr. Robert Lingle, um, who has, as you've been mentioning, worked for, uh, for decades in leadership and has written this fantastic read, A Place for Tea, which truly uh, will change how people, cor uh, corporations, and organizations see themselves and the world around them. It's, uh, it's thought-provoking. It's filled with uh, prescriptions for challenging the status quo. And Robert, that's, that's where I want to take us to now in the conversation. You know, many of our listeners are small business owners, entrepreneurs. And I agree with many of the things that you just said in terms of sort of where the world is right now. And this is a change that has been occurring long before the pandemic and some of the uh, changes in uh, our, uh, in our, our uh, work style. So what is that premise? What is the lesson that you hope a business owner that reads A Place for Tea takes and can perhaps implement during the remaining, believe it or not, only uh, only 50% of 2023. Yeah, I, it, it, it just maybe to define harebrained thinking just a little bit more. Uh, I like to think of this as a garden. Uh, when an organization starts, it has resources. And I think of that as a plot of land. And on that land, there might be boulders and trees and there might be contours that when a harebrained thinker looks at that lot and they want to maximize production from it, they tend to level, take the boulders out, take the trees out, level the land, and plant in, in rows, straight rows, linear rows, until they complete uh, maximum planting on that plot of land. They're trying to maximize their profit. What they don't realize is at the end of this, the gardeners outside the garden is not part of it. And we've been doing that so much in our thinking and entrepreneurs, I think, need to be aware of that, that when they start, there's a conversation between their hearts and their heads. Uh, they start businesses for a passion and our harebrained thinking attacks passion and attacks spirit. So as they grow and as they institutionalize and take structure and start to create plans and convert the spirit of what they do to all these intellectual things, we tend to lose some things. For example, trust 
Everybody's concerned about trust. The harebrained makes that contracts. And once we're in contracts, the spirit of trust is gone. We might have a morale problem. We might have a problem with morals and ethics. And what we do instead of being able to stay in that spirit as the tortoise would keep us in, we wind up with laws and rules. And we take organizations as living creatures, no matter how small or big they are. And we tend to think about them in terms of organization charts, rules and plans and procedures, things that the intellect can digest. And we think of the human beings in the organization as roles. And what this does, it forces us to lead a condensed life. Um, this is something that concerned me a lot, that I see it in students, that I ask them to read a whole book and they never do. They read the Cliff Notes and Google summaries. Uh, we're moving so fast, but there's something in the whole book that's valuable to us as human beings and as leaders in organizations. No uh, question about it. We tend to, uh, one of the things that bothers me because I get struck into this all the time is everybody wants my elevator speech and nobody wants to hear the whole presentation. But there's something in the whole presentation that I can't capture in the elevator. Uh, so all these reducing our communications to texts, tweets, uh, and short sound bites eliminates the possibility that if we had more time and made them longer, uh, we wrote longer letters and longer emails, we met for longer periods of time, there might be valuable to, might be value in that. And well, value unfortunately, this is a tough segue to, uh, to having a wrap up our, our short conversation on the radio, but I know we could talk for hours and the best thing that folks can do is to pick up a copy of the book and to, to, to read and understand. And I know you're very accessible, um, Dr. Robert Lingle, um, in continuing this conversation. I certainly look forward to bringing you back on the program, but uh, alas, if we, uh, if we don't wrap up a uh, commercial, we'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll beat us to the punch over here. So Robert, how can we learn more about you and pick up a copy of the book? Well, the best place to get me right now is LinkedIn. Uh, Robert H, last name is L-E-N-G-E-L. -E I have a new website that's under construction, but it will accept communication. So it's a place for T and that's the letter T stands for the tortoise.com. Uh, so you can contact me through that website also. Fantastic. Again, Robert H. Langle on LinkedIn, as well as just search for a place for tea. It's a fantastic read. Lots more to discuss. Robert, thank you so much for joining us on the program. I look forward to having you back on. We've got a lot more small business jobs and entrepreneurship when we return. So don't touch that dial. You're listening to Get Down to Business. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business, jobs, and entrepreneurship. It has been 175 years of the Stanger family in Naperville with an eighth generation on the way. I'm thrilled to be joined by Nick Stanger, um, who has launched a new company, the financial firm, the Stanger family office. Um, and Nick, it's an honor and pleasure to have you uh, on the program. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me and just uh, just a privilege to be here. Thank you. Absolutely. So let's talk with the past. We'll get to the present and then we'll talk about the future. How does that sound? Sounds awesome. Okay. So the past, your family, as mentioned a moment ago, has been around um, in Naperville in particular, the Chicagoland area for 
quite a while. Uh, I believe some beer has been uh, has been a part of the mix. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about why your family is so uh, so tied to Naperville and what you guys have been doing. Yeah, so it's it's uh, well, it, it it's been awesome, and and I'm a seventh generation Naperville guy, so our our family's been here for a little bit now, and uh, I don't not, not technically one of the founding families, like the actual Naper family, but pretty pretty close after that, and uh, of course my my dad being the sixth generation, and then my grandpa. Uh, Jack, who passed a couple years ago, he was the fifth, and and uh, he was never as much uh, uh, on the history preservation side. It wasn't until my my dad really who got heavily involved with Naperville Heritage Society and Naper Settlement, which is a, a big piece of what we do, and and uh, really trying to document the history that we've been able to do a lot of research and. Um, learn more about the brewery, and and that was a huge huge piece of the entrepreneurial past in our family. That's that's wild, and I know you have uh, taken your dad's place as uh, as a board member of the Naperville Heritage Society. So congratulations on that. And I know I hear the passion in your voice and uh, capturing the history, telling the story. But that leads us indeed to the present. So you're certainly active in community. Um, you are uh, you are married, um, wife of uh, just over two years, as I as I understand it. And you, uh, let's talk about your family and let's talk about your uh, your financial firm. Yeah, so no, that's that's exactly right. We got married a couple of years ago and kind of had a crazy COVID wedding situation and we're going to get married up here and ended up moving it down to Florida where we could be outside, which was which was a lot of fun and then now we've got our uh, uh, actually the 8th generation on the way coming up in a couple of weeks if everything is on time, but uh, the the we're going to have a son here on May 1st, which is really uh, really coming up quickly. Wow! Congratulations on that, and I know you've uh, you've made a joke in the past that uh, with uh, with your wife, with Jamie, uh, nine months pregnant with the baby, um, you have been uh, pregnant as well with uh, a project of your own. Let's talk a little bit about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Yep, she's she's about nine months pregnant with the baby, and uh, for the past year now, we've been. Um, really doing our due diligence as a, a wealth management firm. And we actually just left one of the largest New York-based wealth management companies and launched our own firm. Uh, we called it Stenger Family Office. And uh, really the, the the background behind that is our family. And we've got sizable assets um, at, at the firm that have kind of grown over time. And and like a lot of our families that started small and and built, um, we we started to find out just for our own family that complexity was getting more and more uh, uh, advanced, and there's just a lot of things that needed to be done that couldn't be done in a in a traditional wealth management structure. So, um, part of our our new structure today is we've got tax people in house. We can do tax preparation. We've got attorneys in house. So we can help clients with estate planning, wills and trusts and all the rest of it. And so we started from that lens of how do we build this for our own family, for our, our future and put the right pieces in place and guardrails to continue passing our legacy down like we have for seven generations now. And and then we said, well, if we build it from that lens, maybe a couple of our clients would be interested in that as well. And and so far they have. And and uh, it's just been a wonderful, wonderful upgrade for our uh, our company. Indeed. So certainly you have been uh, hard at work in developing the Stanger family office um, and uh, family offices. That's something I know uh, I've had several family office leaders on this program in the past, and that's typically a 
ultra wealthy family uh, thing um, or resource that's available, but you've been able to, as you've been mentioning, um, deliver that experience. So let's talk about some of those services that you provide. I believe obviously there's there's a lot of information on your website, which we'll send our listeners to, but why why unique? Why, why, what's the unique value proposition over here? Yeah, and, and you're exactly right. The family office has been around for hundreds of years, and this has been this is not a new thing that we've invented at all. Um, it, it's been in existence for a while to help families pass their legacy down, not just to focus on investments or financial planning, but to put an entire team of experts around the family so that things don't get lost through the uh, things don't get slip, slipped through the cracks and that you have a tax plan, you have an estate plan. And, and in the past, you used to have to have hundreds of millions of dollars to do this. Well, today with technology, we've built a family office that I would almost call a democratized offering. It, it's a family office for just regular people like us. And, and so, of course, yes, we have ultra wealthy, high net worth clients, but a lot of our people in their in, in the kind of middle zone get left behind in, in the wealth management world where not everything's looked at, not everything's coordinated properly. And so we said, let's build an experience. Let's build a family office where everybody can access it. So we've created four unique business lines with, within the core family office, Stenger family office brand. One gets people started with just $1,000. And that's literally how we built our business. My father, who started our company in the 80s, that's how he built it, was on small accounts that over time that we knew if, if we do, did a good job and walked alongside them and gave them good advice, they'd stay with us and grow. And that's exactly what's happened. So um, we have an offering for small investors. We have a core offering for people with 100000 to $2 million. And that's our the core of what we do. And then, of course, there's a family office zone. When you get over $2 million, we tend to throw in a pretty good credit towards tax preparation. So a lot of that's included. And then estate planning, there's a credit there. So um, what we've done is we've built a business where you can get started at any point in the financial journey and then grow with us over time. Absolutely. I'm chatting with Nick Stanger, the Chief Executive Officer and Financial Advisor at the Stanger Family Office. We've been chatting about some of the uh, some of the services provided, including wealth management, investment management, family office tax preparation, and estate planning for uh, their uh, family uh, of uh, of clients. Because I know that's how you treat it. Um, but Nick, it's not just you. You've got a uh, you've got a great team of people behind you, including an advisory board, as well as uh, some fantastic staff that make that possible. So uh, tell us a little bit about the team and uh, and and the experience that you bring uh, to the table. Yeah, well, it all started with my business partner, Bond Roth, and he's got a great name, Bond Roth. You cannot have a better name for a financial business than that. And there's a story behind that. You can listen. There's a podcast, actually, where we talk about it. But um, he's been a wonderful friend and business partner in all this, high integrity and just, just a wonderful guide as we've built this. And then, of course, we've got a frontline staff of people who do a lot of the day-to-day -day and operational work. We've got tax people, like I said, and estate planning people. And, and uh, you know, it's so important to build a team like we've done where the culture is, is, is critical. And of course, we, everybody talks about culture, but uh, it's kind of this intangible thing where uh, you don't really understand it until you're in a bad culture or until you're in a really good culture. And, and so what we're in today is a fantastic culture. We've got people with just high energy and 
and just really care about the client. And, and so what we've been able to do with our new firm is just return to that client-centric focus where it's all about entrepreneurship, it's all about innovation, and how do we make the experience better? How do we improve client outcomes, not just punch a clock and go through the day and, and count down the days till retirement? It's just a totally mm-hmm. different experience. Absolutely. Uh, Nick, uh, that's, uh, that's fantastic. Congratulations on all of that. And uh, I, I promised that we'd get to the future and we're just going to touch on this for a very, very brief moment before we have to cut to break. Um, but uh, again, very shortly, you are going to uh, bring in the eighth generation of the Stanger family to have Naperville roots. Uh, your son uh, will be born uh, uh, very, very shortly, I believe, uh, due on uh, May, May 1st. So that's exciting. Any chance that that brewery is going to be open either by you or your or your uh, new child? Well, it's certainly been something that people have been asking for for a long time. I guess TBD is the answer there. And uh, who knows, but we're certainly continuing along the entrepreneurial legacy and we're continuing on with the innovation and who knows what's in the uh, in the future here for our, our uh, son. But We'll see. And, and certainly the history preservation, if you know where you've been, you know where you are sure. and you know where you're going. And uh, that, that's what's so important right. to us. Nick, how can we get in touch with you and learn more about your family office and all of the amazing work you're doing in Naperville? Well, go on our website, www.stengerfamilyoffice.com. We've actually got our own podcast. We have the Nick Stenger Show. We've got a number of other shows and different types of content on there. Check us out. And if you want to get in touch, give us a call. 630-912-8295 is our direct line. Nick Stenger, thanks so much for joining us on the program. We'll be right back and get down to business. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. I'm joined by Dave Kale, who's been in practice for 30 years. He's been the number one salesperson um, for two different companies in two distinct industries and selling situations. He's a high energy, intense, world-class speaker who has presented in five Canadian provinces, 11 countries, and 47 U.S. states. You only have a few more to go, Dave. Um, I know you've authored 13 books, including your most recent one, The Good Book on Business. Dave, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So excited to have you. Um, what kind of businesses can benefit from developing a sales system? You talk so frequently about this, and uh, and many of our small business owners don't think that they're large enough. Do you agree? Yeah, yeah. No, I don't agree. I think uh, almost any business can can implement, can design and implement a sales system, and and the systems are the way to do sales uh, on a regular, methodical, predictable basis. Wow. Okay, awesome. That's really, really, really important. And hopefully everybody uh, takes lessons learned. And we're going to continue that, that topic um, talking about essentially the most effective thing that you've seen from all of your companies that you've worked with to improve results. What is it? Yeah. I, I, now I'm going to, I'm going to come at this from a business to business uh, standpoint. And I would say that by far the single most effective thing that a sales system and a sales person or sales effort can do is prioritize and target potential customers. And when, and when I say that, I mean, and instead of uh, throwing the, you know, the feed out into the water for anybody, you focus on a, a predetermined high potential group of customers. And when you do that, you, uh, you get amazing results. Yeah, well, amazing. And I know that uh, amazing results is, uh, is the understatement of the century because, uh, Dave, you have worked with 500 plus companies um, and, uh, and, and you have 
uh, talked frequently about the topic, which I know is uh, one of your books, how to sell anything yeah. to anyone, anytime. So that's yes. a perfect segue. Um, can anyone become a salesperson, um, regardless of their sort of background and personality type? Yeah. Yeah, what a great question. You know, I, I would say that anyone can sell better. Whether or not anyone can get to the point where they are able to make a living as a professional full-time salesperson, that's a different story. I like, I like to say this on a scale of one to 10, you know, I can take a seven coming in with aptitude and, and skills and so on. I can take a seven, make them a 10. I can take a five and make them a seven. I can take a three and make them a five. I can take a one, make them a three, but I can't take a one and make them a 10. So there's so there is if you're going to if this is going to be a full time occupation, there needs to be a, a base level of aptitude and skills and motivation and, and so on. Having said that, anybody and everybody can sell better. Wow. Wow. Uh, Dave Kale, again, I know you've been in practice for uh, 30 plus years and you've won many, many accolades, including patenting the Kale way, the Kale way. So what advice if, if folks learn Nothing else from this interview. What advice would you have for a business owner, an entrepreneur that might be tuning in on how they can sell better? Yeah. You know, the first thing is dedicate time and money to the task of building a sales system. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, even those words are foreign to a lot of people, but if you're going to acquire customers on a regular, methodical, predictable basis, then you have to put in place a system to do that. And anytime you, you do something like that, there has to be some, has to be some investment in time and money and energy. So, uh, you know, I have been, I, I've seen literally dozens of companies who have great products spent all their time developing a product and never gave any thought to the need to develop a system. Just as a, here's a rough benchmark, and that is whatever it took you in time and money to get you to the point where your product or service is ready to sell, okay, now you have to spend at least that in time and money to create the system to sell that. So the first thing, the number one thing is just give it, give it some priority, understand that it's not going to happen in the blink of an eye. You have to, you have to invest in creating a system. Sure. And you speak very frequently about a sales dashboard. I, I want to wrap up our conversation by talking again about yeah. a tool that I know has worked really yeah. well for you. How can our listeners benefit from it as well? Yeah, well, first of all, you have to think in terms of what is the sales process all about. And in this most fundamental uh, process, it is identifying suspects who you think might do business with you one day, turning them into prospects who really could do business with you, turning prospects into customers, customers into clients and clients into partners. So the, so the world of sales is a matter of moving people closer and closer into a committed relationship, financial relationship, with your business. And so you need to you need to keep track of how you're doing on each of those steps. How many sus so here here's a simple little things to put in your dashboard. How many suspects did you identify last month? How many of those turned into prospects? How many customers, new customers did you acquire? Of those, how many how many of those bought over and over again became clients? And how many partners do you have who just couldn't imagine doing business without you? There's 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 several simple measurements that will help you to begin to start building the sales system. That's awesome. Great advice. Again, I've been chatting with Dave Kale. Uh, he has created the Kale Way. He's been in practice for 30 plus years. He's been the number one salesperson on so many different levels for so many different companies. And he is teaching it all to us today. Dave, I've learned a lot in our conversation. I know we've just scratched the surface. You've got a lot of great reads, including 
your new book, The Good Book on Business. How can we get in touch with you and pick up a copy of your great reads? Yeah, well, you know, I'm on uh, LinkedIn, uh, pretty visible, uh, but uh, reach me at uh, at uh, my number one website, which is www.davekale.com. Easy, K-A-H-L-E, so davekale.com. And, uh, you can sign up. We have a free e-zine that we send out uh, every week called Sell Better, and uh, there's other resources, free resources on the website. So that'd be the first place to go. Perfect. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. I am honored and thrilled to be joined by an internationally renowned combat leader and diplomat. That's retired U.S. Army Colonel Christopher Kalenda, um, Dr. Chris Kalenda, um, who recently completed the 1,700-mile Fallen Hero Honor Ride to visit the graves of six paratroopers from his unit who were killed in Afghanistan and to raise support for the 800 survivors and their families who need help. It's been covered all over on CNN and many other media outlets, and it's an honor to have you on the program, Chris. Thanks so much for joining us. Shalom, I really appreciate you having me on your program. Absolutely. So let's talk about you for a moment. Obviously, you have a uh, quite the career in the uh, in the army, and thank you for your service. Um, I'm curious to hear about that experience and all of those uh, subsequent events that led to you uh, doing what many would call crazy. Yeah, my, my neighbor actually called it crazy when I first floated the idea. Um, yeah, we were coming up on the 15-year anniversary of our unit's deployment to Afghanistan in 2007 and 8, and I wanted to do something special to honor the service and sacrifice of the six paratroopers who were killed in action, and it also recognized the service of the 800 or so surviving members and their families. And I thought, well, I could, I could, I w- and and so that entailed in visiting their graves. And I thought, you know, I, I could drive the distance that um, we've got Chris Pfeiffer buried in Nebraska, Adrian Hike in Iowa, uh, Jacob Lowell in Indiana, just out or in Illinois, just outside of Chicago, the Abraham Lincoln Cemetery, uh, Ryan Fritchie in Indiana, uh, outside of Indianapolis, Dave Boris in Eastern Pennsylvania, and Tom Bostic in Arlington National Cemetery. So that's about 1,700 miles. And I figured I could drive the distance and, and drive to each site, but I thought, yeah, that's just not quite substantial enough. I could walk it, but it would just take way too long. Um, and, th- and I said to myself, well, you know what? I bet I could ride a bicycle that far. I mean, people ride cross country all the time. Um, the only problems were that I didn't own a bicycle and I hadn't ridden a bicycle in 20 years. So this was April, 2021 now. And I thought, all right, well, if I'm going to do this, I need to like, I need to get my butt in gear and get in shape. So I went, I bought a nice road bike. I hired a cycling coach to get me in shape and started telling people. So I don't check it out. And uh, we started the ride on September 25th of 2022, which is 15 years to the day when Chris Pfeiffer died of wounds. Um, He died of wounds in after fighting for his life for a month, he was in the San Antonio military hospital. Uh, his, his parents, uh, Mike and uh, Dar were there as was his wife, Karen, who was nine months pregnant. Karen went into labor 
the day after Chris died and, and the next day their daughter Peyton was born. So she was, she never knew her dad. And when we started at Chris's gravesite, his parents were there. Karen was there and, uh, and Peyton was there and she got to, she got to hear more about her dad. Uh, she was also our first scholarship recipient. So that was pretty special. God bless you. Uh, thank you so much for what you're doing. We've had you, we've had you on in the past and, you know, this is such an important topic, um, really understanding uh, veterans mental health, which I know is something that all of our listeners care about. And there's a lot of lessons, which we're going to talk about in just a moment from the honor ride. I know you've really, uh, we always say in the army, you do an AAR, you look at an after action report and you look at, you know, lessons learned. And I know you have a lot of those notes, but let's talk about some of the statistics. Um, I, from, uh, from what I know, over 7,000 service members were killed in Afghanistan and Iraq. But when we talk about suicide, that number is staggering. Chris, what, what, what are those numbers looking like? Yeah, 30,000 veterans died by suicide since September 11th, over four times the rate of people killed in combat. Um, 22 veterans reportedly uh, die by suicide daily. That doesn't account for overdoses. Within, within my own unit, within this group of 800, we've had more die due to suicide and overdoses than to enemy fire. And part of the reason for taking undertaking this ride was, I mean, I just can't know that people who had my back in combat for 15 months are struggling like this and not try to do something about it. So, so part of the ride was about honoring the dead, our, our six fallen heroes. And the other part of it was about supporting the living and, and raising funds for the Sabre Six Foundation, which which uh, I established to support the 800 surviving members and their families to to achieve new dreams. Which is so important. Again, I'm chatting with uh, Dr. Christopher Glenda, retired U.S. Army colonel, um, who's completed the 1,700-mile Fallen Hero Honor Ride. That uh, training must have uh, whipped you into shape. Um, and you visited the uh, the graves of six paratroopers from your unit who were killed in action in Afghanistan. But yes, exactly as you're saying, Chris, that, that number is staggering. Over 30,000 veterans have died from suicide. Um, you know, veterans from the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. And, you know, I was actually just talking with my soldiers the other day in uh, talking about experiencing post-traumatic stress and it's normal. And you're raising awareness of a absolutely critical issue. So we're going to have to take a break in a moment and we're going to, I'd love to dive in a little bit deeper about some of the lessons learned. Um, I've been studying some of your notes uh, quite diligently and I'm looking forward to continuing the conversation. Again, we're talking with Dr. Chris Galenda. Um, about his honor ride. You're listening to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurs. You can always get in touch with our sponsors, Tom Mirabali, healthplanchicago.com or 630-863-3477, 630-863-3477. Or of course, his website, healthplanchicago.com for all of your health insurance and affordable care act needs. But again, a quick break here on the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. We're going to continue talking about this incredible fallen hero honor ride with Dr. Chris Glenda in just a moment. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. I'm chatting with retired U.S. Army Colonel Chris Glenda, uh, who, again, as we've been uh, talking about, is on a ride 
um, and raising awareness around uh, around the mental health crisis that that exists with veterans, but frankly exists uh, across our country. Uh, Chris, you've been sharing a little bit about uh, your journey, um, but I know you have a lot of lessons learned that you'd like to share with our listeners. Tell us a little bit about some of the things that you think are relevant. Well, in in terms of veterans' mental health, I, I was riding across the Missouri River, and like many rivers in the United States, it's a glacier cut river, where you've got, um, you know, you've got the the, the river, of course. But then you've got like a floodplain on either side of the river on the banks where you can grow stuff. And then you've got high ground on either side uh, that helps you gain new perspective. And, and pedaling across that, I was like, you know, combat's a lot like a glacier that moves through your life at a high rate of speed. You know, and it changes you just like that glacier changed the terrain when it moved through. Combat changes you. It doesn't mean you're broken. It just means you're different. And, and so, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder, this is not a clinical diagnosis. This is a common sense diagnosis. Post-traumatic stress disorder, it's a disorder when your past is in control of you. Uh, when you're in the river, you can only drift in one direction. That's downhill. Most of us have post-traumatic stress normal. I mean, you're going to be affected by this, um, by these experiences and part of its acceptance and just knowing that I'm, I'm different. And in that way, you are in control of your past. And then there's post-traumatic stress growth, which is you use those experiences to soar to new heights. And so the, the, the glacier I found was a, was a pretty good analogy. You know, combat is a, it's or post-traumatic stress is a normal reaction to an abnormal circumstance. And combat's one of those abnormal uh, extended circumstances. Wow. Um, that's, that's incredible lessons learned, but certainly in your own training for this honor ride, I know that uh, it's required quite a bit of commitment. Any, uh, any real key takeaways that you can briefly share with our listeners? Well, if, if you want to achieve big goals, um, you know, you've got to, you've got to do three things. The the first one is you've got to, you've got to, you've got to make a, put your stake in the ground, make a commitment. Uh, and in my case, the commitment was I'm going to spring for a pretty expensive road bike because that way I know that I'm going to ride. It. It's not just going to sit in a garage. You know, people are like, Oh, just get a used one. See if you like it. And I was like, I can't afford to just to see if I like it. Cause if it's a crummy bike, I won't ride it. And then, and then I'll, uh, I'll just put this in a two hard block. So I, I bought a, I bought a really nice one and just started getting after it. The The second one is get professional support. Um, coach Chuck Kyle was my cycling coach and, and he was dynamite. He put together the training program for me. He made it, uh, he made it simple and understandable. It wasn't overly complicated. It was pretty straightforward and it was executable. And, uh, and he, like help me a lot along the way, especially with things like bike fit. And then third is, um, you know, you make the emotional investment, you start telling people, so you don't chicken out. So that, that kind of social accountability with people who are important to you really matters. Um, and, you know, no, none of us do achieve big goals on our own. Uh, we do it with other people. My, of you know, my wife, um, my coaches, all the supporters, people like you, 
who, for sure. Yeah, cheering me Chris, on. Chris, we're going to have to leave it there. Uh, I want to make sure our listeners can get in touch with you and learn more about your incredible journey. Can you share that information? Yeah, I, you can write me an email at chris at strategicleadersacademy.com or check out our website, uh, saber6foundation.com. Really, really appreciate your passion, um, all that you're sharing with our listeners. I can't wait to have you back on real soon. Dr. Chris Galinda, thank you so much. That's our app for us here on the show about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. We'll be back next Sunday at 6 p.m. right here on AM560, The Answer to Success. Let's get down to business.